today is also Kathy's birthday. It's also Seth Morgan's birthday, if there are others, I don't know, but these two have been sort of celebrating together for almost 20 years. So, happy birthday, Kathy uh, and Seth. Now, Seth, I don't have a present for you, but Kathy, I'm going to show you something I bought for you, okay? I got you these candles. Now, I don't have a cake to put the candles on because, you know, inflation and all that. (laughs) But here they are, and here's why they are. Their light doesn't go out. Let me show you. You have to give it a second. Or two. Or three. Y'all are praying hard right now, aren't you? (laughs) Keep it up. Keep it up. Ah, there's the light. (laughs) Oh, so this light is going to remind all of us this morning about some good news about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom in which we never, that we now live. And the good news is this, the light is never going to go out. Never, ever. Nothing will ever extinguish the light of Christ. You and I live in the light of inextinguishable light. Is that good news? I'm going to blow this out. Now it would come back on, but I'm going to do this. No, it doesn't. That's what we want to talk about this morning. This light in which we live. We're going to talk about living our lives looking up to that light. Living our lives longing for more of that light. Living our lives looking for triumph in that light. Look up. Look with longing. Look for triumph in this kingdom life in which you and I live. That's what we're going to talk about as we return this week to Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please take those out. And when you found your place in the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can hear read together the word of the living God. The Lord Jesus says, beginning in verse 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For everything is hidden except to be made Manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more light will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray together. Fathers, always we're thankful for your word for blessing it with us, for speaking to us through it. Bless now your word, we pray. Bring the power of the Spirit to our hearts, to our minds, so that we might understand and apply 
and live by all that you teach us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And if you will, look again at verse 21. And you read there is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket. Now, before we get into this verse, I'm going to put before you what might seem to be an insignificant observation about this verse. And before I put this insignificant observation before you, I I want to let you know that this observation should not make you distrust the Bible that you hold in your hands. Let me say this about the, the Holy Scriptures. As they are given to us in their original autographs, and by that we mean as the men inspired by the Holy Spirit, as they wrote them, those Scriptures are infallible, those Scriptures are inerrant. That means... They are without error. That means they are reliable and trustworthy. That means that everything God teaches in his word, it's incapable of making a mistake. All that God says is true. It's for the lack of liking what God says, and often we don't like what he says to us, in his word, that people seek to cast aspersions on the authority of the word of God or to bring its authority into doubt. Now, as I said, the claim for inerrancy and infallibility is with the original autographs. We no longer have those, obviously, but it's a vitally important truth to us for us to maintain because it highlights, it highlights that the Holy Scriptures The Bibles that you and I hold in our hand are unique among any other piece of literature ever written in the history of the world. They alone are the word of the living God, and those words cannot be dismissed. And because God is powerfully sovereign, He's able to superintend his word. He's able to oversee the transmission of his word and the preservation of his word so that we can confidently trust that the word of God that we hold in our hands is the word of God. We good with that? All right. Now for that observation. Your translation probably has the word A before the word lamp. In verse 21, A, the indefinite article, a lamp, no lamp in particular. However, the Greek manuscript that Mark wrote has the word the lamp, the, the definite article that defines and limits, that functions as a demonstrative pronoun saying this one or that one. It is the lamp in verse 21. R.C. Sproul says that the translation using a in this verse instead of the, quote, almost baffles me completely. Perhaps translators chose a Because in other places, Jesus talks about a lamp. 
Like in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, nor do people put a lamp, and light a lamp and put it under a basket. But listen, Jesus said the same thing on different occasions, in different settings. He said a lamp on one occasion, the lamp on this occasion. And here's something else that's almost laughable to me. And that is that people mistrust Scripture because Jesus says something in Mark in one setting and then says the same thing in a different setting in Matthew or Luke. See, they say, the gospel writers got it mixed up. They got confused. Bless their hearts. They forgot where Jesus said that. They put it in the wrong place. That proves that Scripture is not inspired and it cannot be trusted. May I just say in the theological language of my grandmother, Peshaw, Jesus repeated himself to different groups of people because as I'm sure you've noticed, the words of Jesus bear repeating. Do you believe that? He needs to say them only once. He does not need to repeat them in order for them to be authoritative. But when he does repeat them, it's a blessing to us. He formed us. He knows how we are made. He knows that repetition is the handmaiden of learning for you and for me. And let me tell you, you can repeat to me every day of my life, Jesus' words come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. You can tell me that every day of my life. I'll never tire of hearing it. In any case. Here according to an inspired mark. Jesus says thee. And so we could translate verse 21. Is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket. Or under a bed. And not on a stand. Now listen. Here's why this distinction is so important. The means we are talking about a very specific lamp. Not just any lamp. Not a generic lamp. It isn't even your lamp or my lamp. Should our minds go to Jesus' command to let our lights shine? No. This verse isn't about us shining our light. It's about Christ shining His. He is the lamp. He is the light of the world. And that light will never be extinguished. The light that darkness will never defeat. Psalm 119. Thy word, thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And so these verses are not about a generic light. They're about the light of Christ. You and I, so privileged to have the light of Christ shine on us. So as I said in the beginning, we must live our lives looking up to that light. We must live our lives looking with longing for more of that light. We must live looking for triumph in that light. These are three ways that you and I must relate to the light as we live in the kingdom of God. Now, because it was so vitally important to me, I don't know if it was important to you, but it was so important for me to talk about the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture, 
that I only have time this morning for two of these ways that we must live our life in the kingdom of light. And the first way is this. We must live looking up to the light. Look again in verse 21. Where is the light to be put? Not under a basket. Not under a bed. No, Jesus says, on a stand. So here, in this parable of kingdom, is the centrality of Christ in all things. Here, in this teaching of Jesus, is the elevation of Christ over all things. And so therefore, by necessity, living in the kingdom means that you and I must look up. We must look up. Always looking to the inextinguishable light. Our culture tells us to look in, fixate on ourselves, ad nauseum. Our culture tells us to look around. They've manufactured this thing that they now call equity. So they tell us to look around and compare ourselves with everyone else and tear down what isn't equitable in order to achieve what is unachievable. Look around, they say. Sometimes our own hearts cause us to look down. We grow weary. We grow discouraged. We get sad. The Lord tells us, look up, look up. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look up at the bronze serpent and live. Listen. The light is on the stand. Look up and live. That's what life in this kingdom is like. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The lamp is on the stand. Look up and live. That's life in the kingdom for you and me. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The lamp lamp is on the stand. Look up and live. That's life in the kingdom for you and for me. Where are you looking? How central is Christ in your life? How elevated is he? Above all other things, what or who stands bigger and higher to you and takes more prominence in your life than Christ? If we'll hear the words of Jesus this morning, we will take those things down, de-elevate them, lift Christ up, put him on the lampstand of your life so that you may look at his light. This is... Jesus' blessing to you in this world. It's his blessing to me. He knows 
the pull for us to look down, the pull for us to look in, the pull for us to look around. He knows the hopelessness of looking in those places. He knows the helplessness that results from looking in those places. And so he says to us, look up, look up. Secondly, you and I must live our lives looking with longing. Look again in verse 21. Is the lamp brought in? The lamp has been brought in. Simply put, the lamp has changed places. The lamp was in one place and now it's been moved to another. Christ, the light, the lamp has always been for eternity. In eternity, eternity, he has always been in heaven. But now, at last, the light of heaven has been brought in and put on the stand for all to see. Is that good news? Listen, the people of God, before the light was brought in, they could sense that something was coming. They could hear the distant roar of something approaching, but never got to see it, never got to know it. In chapter 13 of his gospel, Matthew records these kingdom parables of Jesus. And Jesus says in that place, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Longed for is a word of an intensity. And so it is that you and I should hear that word. What were their lives like that caused them to experience such longing? What were their sorrows, their struggles, their disappointments, their hardships? What things seemed unbearable to them? What were the beautiful things in their lives that even in the midst of them seemed incomplete and unsatisfying after the moment passed? I can't illustrate this word longed for you because I might guess the wrong thing. I don't know the, the people or the things for which your heart longs, for which it yearns, probably, perhaps the things for which it's even desperate. I don't know what feels empty or incomplete for you, but you know, you know, and I know this, the saints of old looked with longing to God to fulfill these things for them. To help them bear up, to sustain them, to cheer them. And so you and I, with longing, look to Christ to do the same thing for us. Jesus also says this to complete his thought in Matthew 13. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. How often do you think deeply? about this blessing that God has given to us, to our eyes, to look up and see the light of Christ. 
Where's the place in our life for indifference, for nonchalance, for inattention, for the lack of awe of the blessing of seeing Christ? Sometimes I wonder how these prophets and righteous people of the past, those who longed for the coming of the Messiah but were not granted that privilege of seeing Him, Because their role was different. It was to prepare for him. How would they view us who have Christ, who know him, who can see him? You know, until a couple of weeks ago, over on the bookshelves in my office were dozens and dozens and dozens of those Bible study books. You've probably seen them through the years. put out by navigators or university or campus crusade, those type of things. I've been collecting those things for like 30 years, and guess what? They've been collecting dust on my shelves. Nobody wanted them when they were offered. And so Kathy came to pack some books in a bag to take to Uganda. She said, oh, what are these? Well, they're, they're Bible study books. And so she took every, took every one of them, and she packed them in a bag, and she took them to Uganda. And on the first day of the women's conference, Kathy and Debbie and Christine put these books out, displayed them on a table. And every woman who came, they said, now, go select one of these books as a gift for coming to this training. So the women went to the table, and they looked, and they looked. And they looked, and they looked, and they picked up this one, then they picked up that one, and they rifled here, and they rifled there, then they would go back to one they had already put down. And finally, the women said, you give us a task too difficult. How are we supposed to choose just one? They didn't know which study about Jesus they should choose. They wanted all of them. They have so few resources. They longed for more. They wanted to see more of the light of Christ. And let me tell you, this kind of appreciation for those who have so little was extremely convicting to me as one who has so much, such ease of access. The resources are there on the shelf. I intend to use them, but often never get around to it. And too often that's the case with Jesus for you and for me. He's the lamp. He's the light. He's there. We intend to go to him, but often we're just satisfied with looking in and looking around and looking down. That's not longing. These Old Testament saints longed for more, longed for that seed of God promised in the Garden of Eden that would come and crush the head of the evil one. They longed for that son that would come born of a virgin. They longed for that servant who would bring good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open the prison to those who are brown. They longed for more and more and more. Life in the kingdom for you and for me, should always be longing for more light. Look in verse 25. For to the one who has, more 
will be given. What a promise Jesus makes to us. The more you have, the more you get. Is that good news? When is that ever not good news? The more you look to the light, the more light you receive. Do you long for more? For more of Christ. 14th century German theologian and philosopher wrote this. The soul must long for God. Long for God. In order to be a set of flame by God's love. But if the soul cannot yet feel the longing, then it must long for the longing. To long for the longing is also from God. If you do not in this moment have the longing for more light, you must long for the longing. Because you know Christ is good. And you know that he's light. And you know that he's life. David writes in Psalm 36, In your light do we see light. When the weather's been cold and dreary and rainy, you and I, we love to go and stand open-faced in the sun, don't we? We love it. We long for it. We're made for it. We can hardly tear ourselves away from it. That's how I picture David here, standing face up to the light of God, to have light, to get more light. Where are you placing your life? Where are you standing? Where are you looking? I've checked my heart. I can't stand up here in front of you until I've worked through these things myself. Where are your longings? What do you do to satisfy them? People of faith, those who made it through this world, and those who changed their world along the way, longed for more and more of the Lord. And so must we. And so here's the good news. When we long for Jesus, we get Jesus. Is that good news? More and more and forever more of Him and His light. Is that good news? Then look up and look with longing. Let's pray. Father, where the longing for Christ is missing in our hearts, we pray that you would supply it. Give us such a vision of Christ. Captivate us by his beauty and by his light in such a way that we cannot do without looking more and more to Christ. We cannot do without having more and more of Christ. And where we believe that other things should come first, that other things are better, that other things or people have the answer, convict our hearts, Lord, and bring to our minds this picture of the lamp on the stand. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.